Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket Podcast. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. Folks, I know it's been a while since we did our last show, but unfortunately, that will be the norm going forward. Like I mentioned in a previous episode, we will continue to prioritize quality over quantity. So we might go for stretches of time without a new episode, but trust me, when we do drop one, it will be a good show, well worth your time. All right, so this episode is going to be very different from our usual fare. My co-host Mayank did a guest appearance on the Armchair Cricket podcast recently to discuss the recently concluded World Test Championship final. Along with the host Ajit, Mayank reviewed Team India's performance and selection questions, including the big Ashwin question. They also took a look at the ongoing Ashes, discussed some rumblings in New Zealand cricket, and even reviewed Shubman Gill's discontent. So we at The Last Wicket have decided to feature the conversation in full, so that if any of you are not familiar with the Armchair Cricket Podcast, this gives you a good idea of what they're all about. And if you do enjoy the conversation between Ajith and Mayank, please do follow or subscribe to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. I know there are plenty of cricket podcasts out there, but only a few quality ones exist. All right. That's enough of my blathering. Here is the conversation between Mayank and Ajit of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. I'm your host, Ajit. In today's podcast, we have a really special guest, somebody with whom I've been looking forward to have a chat due to circumstances. We couldn't do it any earlier. So thanks for being very patient. Welcome on to the podcast, Mayank. Thanks for having me, Ajit. Uh, looking forward to the chat as well. So I understand you have a podcast of your own, right? And uh, before we go to that, I mean, you are from South Asia. Probably it's an overkill of a question, but uh, how did you how did you start following cricket? Or what was, the, if you can look back and say, which is the event that caught you, caught your fascination? Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't know if that was one event, but uh, yeah, growing up in India, uh, grew up in Delhi and uh, uh, I was just, you know, like thousands there, uh, somewhat gifted uh, gully cricketer. And so that piqued my interest. When you're good at something, you start getting interested. Um, That led to more formal training, more formal coaching. Uh, I got coaching under Rajinder Singh Hans, the legendary coach. left arm spinner who has mm-hmm. 300 plus wickets for uh, for you know uh, uh, for his domestic side and and also went on to coach up and and also was a national selector in early 2010s um so worked with him to do to coach myself and that was probably the most formal uh training that i got uh and right around that time i was probably 10 or 11 um, and Rahul Dravid was, um, you know, on uh, close to his peak or starting his peak, I should say. This was 2002 England uh, and he was just an amazing form, just middling every ball and, you know, batting like a dream. Um, and so that's how I just became uh, a big Rahul Dravid fan and he's, he's uh, became my idol. And uh, to, this, to, to this day, even though I consider myself pretty objective and, uh, you know, critical of things which one needs to be. I, I find myself hard to be critical of Rahul Dravid. So that that became a key part of my India following. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's that's slowly and steadily. Uh, 
as time went on and I realized I didn't have a future in, in playing cricket, um, continued, uh, started a blog, started writing about it. And then um, in the last uh, two years or so, actually three years now, we started during the pandemic. Uh, so yeah, we're on to our third year. We uh, started a cricket podcast uh, called Last Wicket. Um, so that's uh, Benny, ben- Benjamin Prabhu and, and myself mm-hmm. who are the main hosts. And then, uh, yeah, we have guests like yourself for uh, so even people otherwise, you know, we've had the chance to talk to people like Morley Karthik and, uh, uh, you know, uh, people in IPL teams, uh, Arjun Dev, uh, others, um, Arun Lal and, and and so on to to get their perspective on where is things cricket. Um, and uh, yeah, so we try to do that on a biweekly basis, just keep the conversation flowing. And, and so many times it ends up being more than just what happened on the field. It's sometimes, oh, what about the preparation and what about things after other dynamics that we try to cover yeah very nice to hear and of course well cricket is all encompassing what you said i mean what happens on the field is probably i don't know 20 30 percent of the entire picture right so yeah very nice to hear and we were already planning that this will be a podcast put out on both our feeds so very happy to hear that and i'm more than happy to actually put it on both places so as you said we can reach both our fans at the same time or both our followers that's great um, so, so actually, on that on that note, do you want to mm-hmm. also expand on your podcast and how you got started, so that uh, anybody listening and new, uh, any of our followers who haven't heard, um, have some context on you? Fair enough. So I uh, play some cricket in one of the leagues here, and we've always been following cricket, right? So for me, I'll date myself a bit now. So then, 1992 World Cup was my eye opener to cricket. I was a very young kid. And I remember those, you know, and I remember listening to what was Test Match Special. I didn't know it was Test Match Special. It used to be available on AM in India, AM radio channels. So mm-hmm. I used to have this huge Philips radio. And my first experience with cricket, when I was hardly six or seven, was listening to Test Match Special. Somebody in my house was listening. I think my granddad or my father. And it used to be on and I used to be able to listen to it. So I sort of fell in love with listening to cricket then, the audio medium. And the visually... 1992 World Cup. And then that catch by Jadeja will stay with me forever. I remember I saw it in the highlights. And then John T. Rhodes run out. The run out where he literally dove yep. at the stumps and Inzi was run out, right? right? That one will stay with me forever. So those were my evocative cricket memories. And eventually I fell in love with the longer format. Initially, it just started out as something that will stay for five days. So because you love cricket so much, you know, as you are younger, you just read it on the back page of a newspaper because Back then, not every game was, you know, put on TV. Slowly, mm-hmm. whatever was available, I started following. But the longevity of it was what impressed me to start off with. But then the nuances started creeping in, right? So and then, uh, then as we grew older, we began appreciating the other things around cricket. I never got to play any organized cricket in India. Of course, gully cricket and some school-level cricket. But then once I came here, I was lucky enough to uh, join a club and I play here for a, more than a decade already. So... That stays, I mean, at least to uh, play cricket, uh, one, for the social perspective. You know, you go out on a Sunday, be a boy among boys, do the usual stuff, right? And the other one is, of course, it helps you keep fit, keeps you challenging yourself in a different you know, perspective as well, not just what we do for a living and so on. So that's that. So, for example, yesterday I realized um, I was closing my body out and anything bold at my thigh, I, used to, I, I would miss. So I told one of my teammates is a very good, 
cricketing brain and he devised some exercises for me and i think he also has some coaching training so i tried to open myself out more so that i could drive with a straight bat through midon and midwicket again right so stuff like that as i told you something to challenge yourself again so this this is the main let's say my journey when it comes to cricket if you want to know more i'll answer more no that's that's amazing yeah no i i also play in the chicago area and uh, kind of similar you know every year when the season starts and and the season here is a pretty short one you know four months um but when the season starts i'm i'm working on similar things like you said so this year my my the, the thing i'm trying to improve on is the sweep and uh just trying to score more off spinners and um, um nice. yeah it's a good it's a good challenge as you said because you know you're uh mentally physically challenging yourself while still not you know stressed like work or any of the other things going on in life so yeah it's a great outlet couldn't agree more fair enough so you are one of those people i hate i am a spinner and i hate sweeping <laughs> because they sweep off a length right the good ones i'm a leg break bowler and i can bat anywhere in the middle order or wherever you want me to bat that's my basic cricketing skill what about you Uh, I'm an opening batsman usually sometimes bat at number 3 and then uh, wicket keeper to go with that um, and because I've always batted in the top order or for the most part batted in the top order uh spin is something I constantly need to improve against uh pace and swing is is something that comes more naturally to me so that's that's kind of why the the uh, uh the sweep conversation came in you know uh that's where I started thinking oh I need a, another way to frustrate mm. spinners like yourself <laughs> uh-huh. and find ways to rotate strike uh, so that's where i started thinking about the sweep because otherwise i was uh, not able to score as as freely against them indeed i mean if you play with a straight bat all the time like much like your hero rahul dravid i mean even he had to reserve <laughs> i think even he reverted to started sweeping right eventually so i mean there are people right. who swept india to distraction people left handed usually top order batsmen like uh, you know you can think of uh, jimmy adams for sure but uh, who's the big australian the one who matthew hayden yeah there you go i mean that's the difference between the two i mean if matthew hayden stepped down the pitch and started sweeping you you had no way to hide as a spinner you cannot bowl any shot because the ball will go very far right mm-hmm. so that, that that would have been nice uh, challenge so that's why i told you why i hate sweepers now speaking of keepers and good batsmen we hear uh, a lad from your part of the world is making good progress rishabh pant so he posted recently a photo on the interwebs where uh, initially after the surgery and after a bit of a recuperation he had to take help to climb, climb up the set of stairs in nca now he's able to do it without help uh, gives you a bit of hope it it does i mean uh, you know he's an amazing talent and um, especially in the test side he's he's done r- remarkably remarkably well for india uh, gotten them out of you know tough situations whether it's in you know the at the gaba which everybody knows and celebrates but also in england uh in south africa so it's it's very exciting to see him getting back uh but i i mean i think there's still a long way to go it's so as exciting as that is um you know he's starting to climb stairs and i'm sure he's going to in a few months start running at full intensity and all of that but even that will you know still be a step or two away from full intensity um of cricket and travel and and playing all formats and all of that so i i think still there's still a long way to go i think most fans like us are being optimistic when they say oh man this is a great step and maybe we have him for the world cup in october um but i i still think it's it's going to be you know it's going to be a stretch 
makes sense what you say right so you want to be hopeful i mean i would have taken yeah. him for the world cup uh, world test championship final right but there are hopes that he may actually be you know more or less match fit by world cup they say but i still think you're right but there was also some um, updates about the likes of bumrah and shreyas ayer who might actually be ready for asia cup so that's again a bit of a shot in the arm if you're an india fan 100% yeah shreyas ayer uh, has been doing exceptionally well in in odis in particular um so definitely him coming back is is a big piece of that you know middle order puzzle that uh, we would have to solve if he was not able to join the world cup and i mean you know, there's not enough there's, there's not enough you can say about jaspreet bumrah he has been the standout bowler for india in in the you know last 3 to 4 years um his record in the 2019 world cup for example was just outstanding he was bowling all the tough overs still having a perf- you know perfect economy better than even bowlers are bowling the you know middle overs and uh, taking wickets at crucial times so uh definitely a big boost to indian india and then obviously the fact that india plays the world cup at home is already a uh, you know slight advantage um but yeah all of it needs to come together so that we get into the world cup you know with a squad which everybody where everybody has played 30 35 odi games has is in good rhythm good form good fitness and um yeah and then i can i guess then you can just hope for some luck indeed well let's look back quickly at the world test championship final we've already mentioned it the result is pretty clear but disappointing in the way india competed or were you sort of you know satisfied the better team won uh i mean it's always disappointing when india loses <laughs> but uh, but yeah i do think the better team won and i think going into it um it, it just felt like without bumrah and pant who were you know very key in many of the overseas victories we've had over the past 3 to 4 years it was always going to be a very big challenge uh but there's a third player who i thought of who you know wasn't talked about enough um and that was ishan sharma who uh i mean i mean i don't think he would have run through the australian attack on that you know relatively flat day one wicket um but but i i do think he would have provided a lot more control than shardul thakur and amesh adav and and mm-hmm. so might have helped at least keep the screws a little bit tight uh but the fact that india sort of decided to move on from ishant which to me is a, is a fair enough decision considering the depth that they have um all of that coming together it, it to me it always felt like we were climbing a hill it was always going to be a challenge um because this australian team uh, is is pretty solid especially that bowling attack is is masterful and um you know going to compete against them with uh and batting order which is definitely towards the you know uh closing on their on their dawn you know whether it's kohli whether it's rohit sharma whether it's rahane pujara all of them are closer to retirement than their peak um mm. so considering that i i don't think i was personally very hopeful of a win um i was actually with a friend the day before it was uh starting and and he was saying oh man we got to win this and i was like i i don't have my hopes up uh i would love to be proven wrong but <laughs> but yeah it just it just felt like um it was it was not an easy it was not an easy challenge to begin with absolutely look 10 australian players who were in the 11 were preparing in one way or the other for the series ahead of time some of them were already in england right but um as it came to india only one of them was there pujara that showed probably i mean shastri talks about it a bit uh, acerbically if i may use the term because he says um, we should have missed it 
you should have missed the end of IPL. Come here, twenty days ahead of time, and so on. But I don't know if Shasti, the coach, could bring these changes himself when he was he had a chance, right? Because because of what IPL is and what certain players mean for their teams, it's nearly impossible to drag them away. There is something to do with the scheduling, where you try and maximize the number of days your players are available. That means they may not be at their best when it comes to certain big matches. So you knew in India playing a one-off is always a bad idea because they sometimes tend to start badly. There are exceptions to this. The way they started South African tour was good. and you hope they could replicate it but in england the conditions are different and this australian team you are absolutely right is a different beast right to take on yeah it's very very tough to get that kind of results against them so the way they batted in the first day india were already nearly out of it just right there but happy at least the way they came back maybe some specific points you would like to mention no i think you're spot on there uh, i think the day game was definitely lost on day 1 um I, if i remember right on day 1 uh, australia reached their 200 uh, 200th run around the 60th over uh, and steve smith himself took uh, 140 odd balls to reach his 50 so they had done a good job of containing him with a middle leg line with a um you know short square leg uh, square leg very close to the bat with a mid wicket pretty close to the bat um so they'd done pretty well just making sure the runs were not flowing but after that Travis Head in particular just took the game away for from India uh that those last uh, 25 odd overs that I believe they went at nearly run a ball or might have been even more and that's when I felt like the game really slipped um you're right I think day 2 onwards there was definitely some good fight uh the fact that they went from 327 for 3 to 460 odd all out was was a little bit of hope um that uh, you know that there was a chance of a comeback um similarly with our batting there were some partnerships that uh, when it started to you know click it, it felt like okay yep we're going to avoid the follow on we're going to go past it but um just i think overall the consistency of that lineup was uh, of that bowling lineup uh, was just way better than ours um you know if you think about amesh and shardul we all are aware of their issues with you know bowling the odd boundary ball giving away freebies and and things like that but even otherwise even somebody like amesh and uh, shami when they bowled in the last hour and on, on that day one they they went for runs so uh, i think that consistency in in lengths and line and and just the tightness that they created um was the big difference and that really just made sure that even though india you know didn't fall further behind after day 1 they weren't getting too, too close either so they were always behind even at the end of day 4 when people were saying oh maybe we do a gaba and chase 400 uh, realistically we were way behind the game um so uh, i think day 1 was definitely where the game was lost and particularly that third session but other than that i i do think that they competed well i i did find it very interesting and i'm curious what your thoughts are on the fact that they in the last day uh, on the last uh, innings or rather they decided to kind of go for it and uh, try to chase it down curious what your thoughts are on that particular aspect of the of the game so i'll go back to the day one so it starts right at the toss you won the toss traditionally in a five day game you win the toss you bat there will be some um, overhead conditions you're playing in england maybe there is some something the pitch has to offer but then your top order is good enough to negotiate it right you are a test match team so that's where it starts for me but i think india may have done 
the wrong thing in hindsight. It, it's, it's always 2020, right? But maybe they should have gone with their strength. This Indian team has come to believe a lot in the bowling and with Shami, Siraj bowling as well as they have. If you had a Bumrah, that, that's another story. But even Bumrah sometimes switches off. You remember what happened in the second test in South Africa series, right? He completely sort of was not there. And even though he was bowling, people were able to, you know, either negotiate him or basically score runs of him. That Bumrah that won the oval test was not there suddenly. You saw that, right? Something can switch. I mean, people can have bad day. But in this case, they backed the strength that they thought would win them the game, right? So there is a saying... Bowlers win you the game, but batsmen win you the tournament and so on, right? But in this case, they should have batted first. They should have backed themselves uh, to see through to the end of the day, maybe even five down. Because the Australian team is very, very, um, very, very consistent. You already mentioned it. People like Scott Boland are... Un- I mean, I think he bowled one bad ball. I was there on day number three. He may have bowled one bad ball all day. I mean, you had to play five or six balls every over. That's like unbelievable consistency. I think it's naturally like very metronomic. Mitchell Stark was brought in for that push, that impact every now and then. And he was not particularly effective throughout the test. Pat Cummins took the wickets, even though he was a bit costly. So that's the difference. And of course, the spin of Nathan Lyon. Nathan Lyon has grown immensely where he's trusted across all the conditions to win games. He took five wickets, right? There comes the other debate. See, Jadeja versus Ashwin is the debate. I mean, most people say Jadeja is a starter because of the way he bats and he did in the first innings. But Umesh versus Ashwin, if you discuss, you left the world world's top-ranked bowler. You know, it seems weird to just look at it from the outside. But horses for courses-wise, Ashwin, I must say, has not done what Lion has done. Lion has won games for Australia across all conditions. Ashwin, as well as he has done over the Sena countries in the last three, four years, he's not actually delivered that consistently. That's why they can't also take him and leave somebody like um, Umesh out. Then you went for all-out firepower, right? Shardul, we know, will always be costly. That's, again, another gamble. But he'll give you runs with the bat, which he did in the first innings, and he'll give you those uh, out-of-nowhere breakthroughs, which he did. You know, if you look at the scorecard, he was the one that dismissed Steven Smith in the first innings and David Warner, both of whom were looking dangerous. I mean, Smith could have carried on batting all five days, I think, the way he was batting. He was in no hurry. He knew what you were doing as a bowling team. He was ready to counter it. I think... They've already planned that this is how Steven Smith can be stopped. And probably England will show it in a much better way in over five series, five match series. But they did really well there. Then, um, you know, Marnas Labushin must be given a little bit of credit for weathering the storm when the Indian bowlers were still very energetic. So he took out the sting, so to say. And then in the end, maybe they planned so much for Labushin and Smith and other people, they forgot head. Or maybe they didn't think he'll be that much of a threat. He's the guy that killed you in the end, right? Scoring at a strike rate of 93. He has the license, if you look at that order, right? Warner is a dasher, Khwaja can build in innings. Labushin and Smith, depending on the day, they are they can either be a dasher or a builder, but Smith more the builder. You saw the Smith the builder here. Head is again a dasher. Cameron Green can build, Carry can dash. And you see, that's a typical, very nice combination that we got to see there, right? And what you said, somebody like Ishan Sharma who could bowl dry potentially, go at two runs on over over a bigger period, that could have helped. But yeah, we moved on from that. That's another thing. That's where I dare say if Ashwin had built the trust and delivered the results, he would be a starter in this level. And if he knew how to bowl dry in the first two days when he's uh, not the conditions are not very conducive to him, let's just put it like this, then he might still be picked. See, in this 11, Nathan Lyon had nothing to do in the first day, first innings, but he took the wicket of Jadeja. That was a brain fade. I I saw it. 
I don't know what Jadeja was thinking and he slashed at one very hard and he was out. That was very unfortunate. So that 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 was another turning point. Rahane batted wonderfully in third day. Shardul batted wonderfully. I saw literally the whole partnership. And in the first session on third day, we had pushed them back. But something miraculous had to happen. You see, in, in a decisive game, if you fall 170 behind or 180 behind, there's no comeback from it. India batted well. They batted at four and over. That was all well and good. But you had to bat 100 overs. I think that was the plan. They had the right mindset where they said, if we bat 100 overs and if we go a little above three, three, three and a half an over, we will get to enough of a point where Australia will need to bat four sessions, three sessions. That was the mindset. They couldn't do that. Right? That's where credit goes to the Australian lineup. They use green very effectively. That's what I saw. Whenever somebody like Stark was a bit tired, Stark has gone at five and over. Cummins has gone at four, more than four and over, but they took the wickets there. Right? And Nathan Lyon, even though he bowled only four overs, he took a wicket. So coming to the second innings, I think Indian bowlers still did a pretty good job. But your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Uh, I think the bowling was, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty decent in the in the second innings as well. Um, I, I do want to go back to your one point that you made, which was actually a refreshing point because I, I feel like anybody I talk to uh, regarding Ashwin or anybody I see tweeting about Ashwin not being picked will talk as if, you know, uh, it's a conspiracy or something like that to drop Ashwin. But I think you made a very fair point that uh, um, really uh, the, the reason Ashwin has not gained the same kind of trust is is because he's not been as consistent over, you know, the last five, six years. Um, I watched the, uh, like you watched the recent uh, World Test Championship final, I had watched the 2018 India-England series um, live. And, um, you know, in those games, it was, uh, you're right, it was on and off, Ashwin. You know, there were days when he was looking amazing and keeping things really tight. And there were days when he had injury issues, wasn't 100%, things like that. And of course, on top of that, Jadeja has been phenomenal with the bat in the last three years. So that makes it very, very challenging to to really pick Ashwin over Jadeja. But yeah, Ashwin over Shardal or Ashwin over Ramesh, that's probably a better debate, a more realistic one. Coming back to your question, I, I did think that, uh, you know, India did reasonably well with the ball in the second innings. Uh, again, it, it came down to the fact that that first innings, first day, in fact, they fell so far behind that they were just playing catch up since then. So even though they did well, they knew the targets, you know, even if they did exceptionally well, they knew the target was still going to be 350 at least. Uh, and that ended up being, you know, 440 odd. So yeah, they were kind of chasing it. Um, I I think the day one was definitely where, where we lost it. I, I don't necessarily have too much of an issue with the bowling performance with from, day, from the second innings. So in the second innings, again, at 4 for 111 when Travis Head fell, and maybe even when Marnas fell at 124, right? You knew you had an opening of sorts. If you could capitalize and finish the Australian innings under 180, one, you would get less runs. The other thing, um, you would give them a bit of a dent in their confidence, right? So because they couldn't declare at will. And 90 runs less on this total. Instead of 443, if it was 343, or 353, 363, you could imagine the difference in confidence the Indian team would approach it, right? So that's when somebody like uh, Cameron Green, you see he absorbed a lot of bowling. And he got out in a very unfortunate way, trying to leave uh, one ball too many. But that 95 balls he took was very crucial in what happened afterwards, where Carey and Stark were able to accelerate, were able to hit. Carey, again, very sensible innings, both innings. 
bat with the bat and stark he gave that little bit of the oomph that you require right so australia had a clear plan in terms of time how much time they wanted because there was some chance that the weather may set in and so on it didn't by the way it was a very nice day throughout but you you think all of with all of this in mind again those crucial moments which we are talking about that india failed to win as well you know this is it it has to happen now or you're done and again they couldn't capitalize there there at least shami was better in the second innings he looked a bit off color in the first but he looked much better in the second innings and i think parts of first innings he was very unlucky in the middle of the first day for example umesh yadav he he's he's sort of a vibes bowler he was not feeling it you could see it the same umesh yadav who delivers the ball at 87 looks far more threatening when he's feeling that when he so to say has the wind at his back it was not this guy jadeja did his bit in the second innings he took three wickets also he kept the batsmen quiet right australia were not able to run away with it they had to bat 85 overs which is good but then they declared when they chose to with enough time that's where you could have made a difference if you could have slowed down the slowed them down a little and so on that didn't happen but then come the fourth innings right so i saw the part of the fourth innings where i would claim the decline really began when i got to the stadium gill was already out so let's just have a quick chat on that was he out or not out or do you think that was a harsh decision let's put it like that Uh, I I don't think so. Um yeah, I I've, I've read a lot of different um you know uh, takes on that and I think it's a reasonable decision and the reason for that is just um just some of the laws state that it's the control that the fielder has after taking the catch rather than you know just the video of it. So in in that context I I don't think it was a, a terrible decision. I think it was obviously it's a little bit tough on Shub, uh, Shubman Gill but uh Uh, that doesn't make it a terrible decision in my mind um and the other aspect is also i i mean i do feel that you know when you see all these replays because you see them in 2d there's always a sense of doubt like so many times you've seen people have the ball pretty much in their palms but it feels like it's a bounce just because it's right next to the ground so i i feel like that that can always in put in some some you know sense of doubt So I in that sense I don't I don't necessarily have an issue with the decision. Absolutely. Look, it's about I mean his hand hit the ground because the ground was there but he had his fingers under the ball. A part of the ball was grounded indeed, but it wasn't the control. You're absolutely right. So Rohit Sharma also made a rather a little bit of a you know uh, intriguing statement when he said uh, maybe the decision was taken very quickly. I think they took enough reviews by the way. They took enough replays to actually decide that. and that's right. like a reasonable decision when you when you are an india fan you probably feel a little bit because gil was going at a run a ball and he looked like he was set for a one of those sehwag like innings potentially like a 70 or an 80 that can g- break the game open you know as was unfortunate i dare say the real problem happened immediately after rohit sharma shot was a brain fit you when you were watching it live you could see now he's going to do something silly and he obliged right there was no need to get down on the knee and try and sweep lion away it, he could have contentedly pushed it to mid on a little bit longer then pujara who was patiently playing but i think there was a definite effort from indian team to try sort of score as reasonably quickly as possible because they knew that's the only way they could maintain the pressure on australians if you went into your shell you are going to be killed or you are going to be completely dismissed so that was the right approach he was unlucky in a little bit um, i would say because he tried to uppercut when he also plays it pretty well it was cummins his extra bounce that got him and then so these two wickets on the end of day 4 um, 
was the real blow for me and in the next morning virat kohli was waited out by bowlen that was a fantastic spell the way he built it up slowly over 3 4 overs where you see kohli was really waiting up to a point that the next wide one he's going to slash he did and he was out rahane again a very solid innings try to keep the morale up one of the only people who looked right then and there again in spite of playing t20s apparently that 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 chat he's had with the chennai management has given him that confidence to back himself this is the rahane we knew it's not about scoring quickly it's not about you know um stamping your authority on the game the rahane you know kills you softly he was set to do that in both innings he did it pretty well shikhar bharat showed a bit of cuts i mean you can say you missed pant but you already knew what you had going in right then you could also say ravindra jadeja and shardul thakur also could have made a bit of a contribution in terms of time taking out time these two can bat time and in the first inning shardul thakur chatted you could see rahane talking to thakur all the time keeping him focused i don't think he got much of a chance in the second innings after that it was a quick ending so i i say australia are deserved winners uh, they came the better prepared team they looked the hungrier team it's a bit of a heartbreak for this golden generation if you are looking at india you already said you already counted out five people who will never get a chance again potentially to have a tilt at the world test championship but it, with all things being equal australia won fair and square and they won rightfully your thoughts yeah Yeah no I I agree about uh, you know Australia being the rightful winners obviously it's disappointing to see champion players like uh, Pujara and Kohli you know especially them because very likely them and Rahane are you know uh, and Rocham I should also add are unlikely to get another go if and world the uh, championship final um but we may never know you two years down the line maybe they still turn up um but i think more than that the one one aspect i will disagree a little bit is the brain fade sort of aspect i i don't necessarily count it like that i think you know you're right it was an idea to attack more uh to keep the pressure on the aussies and and uh, it's similar to how you know sevag did it in the 387 chase in chennai back in the day where uh so 80 odd quick runs and suddenly england were thinking oh man we were thinking we they, they declared at that point and suddenly they were thinking oh we could lose this one and so it 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 was that strategy because they kind of knew that considering the bowling attack considering the conditions if you just try to hang around there you will get a ball with your name on it you will get one of those balls which you know is unplayable and you get dismissed so the thought of trying to attack um and get closer put some pressure back made a lot of sense to me uh and when rohit sharma got out india was scoring at i think four and a half an hour so i think that approach sort of justifies the the shot in in, in my head because you know you can say oh i'm going to uh, you know score quickly but i'm not going to play any shots obviously those two don't go hand in hand and there's that give and take with it so so that's the only bit i'll disagree but otherwise you're you're spot on deserving winners australia for sure and they've had um you know fantastic last couple of years uh and they've they won the t20 world cup they've won a test series in pakistan and now they've won the test championship so it's it's definitely been a fantastic uh, few years for for them indeed just a little bit of a rebuttal there see you could see he was building up to it that's what i meant even if you are sitting in the crowd he was getting antsy 
that's what i meant see uh, for a player like rohit sharma who's played at the top level and who's who i dare say has enough big hits right keeping up the run rate or putting the pressure back on the spinner is never a problem but closer to the beginning of the spell of a spinner is when if you are a spinner you know the first two three overs there is a good chance you'll get a breakthrough i think uh, jadeja was also dismissed in the very first over or the second over in the first innings where he tried to slash one and was out right so you need to also get in groove of facing those those balls and then getting used to the rhythm of play that's the difference when a spinner bowls versus a fast bowler because especially if you are been facing fast bowlers for half hour one hour whatever the moment the spinner comes on your bat speed is also fast and you expect the ball to come on that uh, come on that much faster or even higher for example potentially that is a sort of mistake and you could see in the previous four balls in his body language he was looking at a little antsy but nonetheless i don't really doubt or i don't really blame the approach the approach was right just the choice of shot at that point in time when you knew and i don't know how much of a role pujara has in it maybe because if you walk down if you see your partner a bit antsy people tend to walk down and say just to come and say what are you going to have for tea let's have a samosa and chai that's because he's 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 talked to you something that is completely irrelevant but then your antsiness is gone because your mind forgets cricket for a second right i have done it my my patic uh, partners have done it to me and sometimes they just say and they just come and say i have nothing to say to you technically or anything i'm just seeing you need a break i'm giving you that break right it's one of those small things but i don't think him uh, being a bit more careful would have avoided the eventual result that's that that i have to concede no fair enough okay now um, once the ashes begins india will start their uh, this thing their uh, next cycle against west indies so we wish the indian team all the best and of course australian team as well all the best because well they're starting sooner they're starting tomorrow so we should take a look directly there first let me ask what are your thoughts on baseball the approach that england team has taken it's very interesting i i think baseball was born out of compulsion really because they got into a situation where uh they kept losing games um mm-hmm. i think the last time they were facing you know top teams all together in a short span of time was was i think 2021 when they came to india they before that they went to australia or after that they went to australia and um, you know their batting just did not click at all in my mind they said hey we have a bunch of talent here who's used to scoring quickly they seem to have the talent to play red ball cricket let's give it a go uh, i don't think it was like oh we need to find players who can hit it i don't think that was the approach it was like hey we keep losing let's try this and we can try this because we have the players for it so that's my first thought on baseball i i don't think it was you know one day they woke up and said oh we're going to just try to hit the ball harder they just happened to come across you know they've tried other players uh whether it's Rory Burns or Dom Sibley they've tried all those players in the past and they've not you know they've averaged 20 odd and not given them the, the success that they needed so they kind of had to force you know it sort of forced their hand the results forced their hand to try something different and really that's that's how most uh, you know um odd situations or tactics are born because if you think about uh, you talked about the 1992 world cup and i was very young so i didn't necessarily follow it but i've read that new zealand used a pinch hitter at that time and a lot of people said oh that's a really brave move and and this and that but the truth was new zealand was not a world beating team if new zealand had 11 players who could go on and and beat any team on on their day they would have just stuck to that 
the reason they tried to have a pinch hitter was because they knew that the odds were against them and trying something odd could change things for them. So I think that's exactly what baseball is. And I think that along with the fact that last year in 2022, the Duke ball for whatever reason became, you know, this, uh, this ball, which was very easy to score against, didn't move as much, especially after the initial few overs that has made baseball way bigger than I think it is. Um, because we, we saw in uh, England in that one-off test against India or fifth test or whatever you want to call it, uh, chased 378. Before that, they chased 350 plus as well against New Zealand, I believe. I, I you know, I don't think that's realistic, realistically going to happen again and again, even if they try to keep going with the baseball approach. Yeah, all that makes a lot of sense. So it's basically the confidence that the coaching staff and the new captain um, instilled in the players, let's say. People like Zach Crawley, who was on the verge of getting dropped, is still there and they still back him. People like Ollie Pope, whom you were worried was going to be an unfulfilled talent. like People like this have taken on a whole new meaning, uh, have taken on a whole new you know, persona, so to say, simply because they are freed somehow. Maybe it's like, you know, in a microcosm, it's what probably the Chennai management and the Chennai leadership did with Rahane. Just free them up. Just tell them you are capable of it. We know it. Go out there and believe it and do it. Something like this. And it's also a reflection of the personality of both the coach as well as the uh, captain. So you see there is no take a back step in, his, in either of their dictionaries, <laughs> I might say. Ben Stokes and uh, Brendan McCullum. I mean, if you know the chat that Brendan McCullum had with Brad Haddon as they were walking out and when um, McCullum was taking guard in the final of the you know, 2015 World Cup ODI. That's who yeah. he is, you see. He got out in the first hour, but he said, I'm here to take the, those three guys down. I'm not here to see if I can win the game. I know my team is capable of winning this game without me. What I want to do is try and take down that guy. He pointed at Stark. He pointed at some of these people and said, I want to take those guys down in the first six, seven hours. That's the sort of approach you bring because you have been given a free reign this is a guy who played a rare guard 300 in tests huh, to save a test match against India. So he's capable of dour cricket when he had to. But the best part is he's at his best when he's free in his mind. And that's what he's given to his players. I mean, I don't know if he had the same impact while he was a coach of, I think, uh, KKR, for example. Right? But then you see this team really, they were almost at the rock bottom. Right? As a team, they had won like one game in like 11 or 12 finished test matches previously. They were really looking down and out. The captain, Joe Root himself, had sort of gone through a bunch of ideas a few times, evolved them, but then he was at, uh, you know, facing a wall. He had nowhere to go. So there they have been, they have been lucky that Ben Stokes was there and the approach Ben Stokes takes, Ben Stokes has brought is, it, it's, it's really refreshing. That's the first thing. Then the evolution of the likes of Johnny Bairstow. And of course, uh, somebody like, uh, you know, Brooke, Harry Brooke. These guys have really bought a good, good approach, good attitude to this team. And th they're flying high. And I'm really hoping they can continue this because this may actually revolutionize Test cricket itself. They'll need to do this consistently over a, over a couple of years, maybe even go on and win the next World Test Championship final or whatever. Then the, even the powers that be and the people that are real hardcore Test match fans like me will be convinced because scoring at six and over doesn't seem realistic because it's absolutely against the ethos of what test match cricket is all about but then 
because of the speed at which they scored they were able to win a series in pakistan even on like pitches that were roads right and they were able to manufacture a result even against in a tough condition let's say that match against india was not going to be an easy chase for anybody the way they waltzed to it with just four wickets down and bearstow scoring 100 and what not even people like um, joe root have begun to reinvent themselves even an old dog like joe root if i may call him that right while the people who are under pressure are thriving we took the names even ben duckett has found himself a good position moin ali again this is very very ben stocks where he's given a call he's this is a retired player in tests they give him a call and they say we don't care you're 35 we don't care you're this and that cancel your holiday come back come back to the team we want you to unretire because our first choice spinner has injured himself that belief that that gives you a tremendous amount of belief no matter who you are and that's what basketball is all about as far as i'm concerned what do you think australia have in their armory to counter it i mean i think i think in the the bowling attack that they have cummins hazelwood start bowland and then of course nathan lyon uh, that's a fantastic uh, you know set up to have to counter any batting attack whether it be basketball or not I do think that you know just the way, just the quality of the, the team that is there. Harry Brook is, in my opinion, really, really, really good. Uh, arguably, in the top three most exciting young players in the world, along with Shubman Gill and maybe Cameron Green. Um, so I think considering the depth and and the quality of that uh, English lineup, uh, it, it they will definitely push that Australian attack. um but having said that because it's a high risk um you know uh, approach i do see that there will be a chance of a collapse um and uh, i would i would actually be surprised if there's not one collapse in in the five test series uh just you know the quality of of those four bowlers and then of course nathan lyon is is too good to be consistently scoring you know 350 against um that's that's at least my thought right now obviously we'll see how it pans out and of often with these longer series the five match series there's injuries there's form there's um things like that uh, that come into the picture but otherwise um just as of now i'm thinking i definitely see a collapse happening at least once and i definitely see basketball succeeding to score quickly at least one or two times uh so it should be a really really good contest when you look at the squads at least um boland will stay and uh, i mean he's made sure he's undroppable now at this stage the likes of um, mitchell marsh has been released right you expected somebody like mitchell marsh matter and so these were all like backups but they have been released mm-hmm. david warner has shown he has enough hunger so th- that was the other guy who was on trial as far as i was concerned because um you don't want to lose somebody of his um experience even though he's not been particularly successful playing in england that 43 in the first innings told us a lot about what warner was all about and what he wanted to contribute that there is still something left for him to contribute to the squad right steven smith and carrier set up well green is okay people like uh, labushen he's been in england and he's probably been the longest in england as the same as jodia pujara so you know he'll 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 be there or thereabouts and you already said what needs to be said about their bowling lineup so somebody like usman khwaja for me is very important the longer the game goes on he's sort of a banker i expected him to be the real trouble maker in the second uh, australian innings in the championship final as well but uh, he is going to definitely weigh in as the five match series comes through right for me so they are very well set up australia themselves so for me it will be really like a clash of wills australia still play a old school test match ethos where 
you know you build the pressure slowly like a the boxing bout and eventually a knockout opportunity comes but then you wear your opponent down whereas this england team is like uh, and mike tyson in every round because mike tyson we know is very very good in the first 90 seconds of the game and if you held him off and so on right so it's going to be interesting because there's one mike tyson mike tyson coming out in every over so what i'm really thinking which will be the deciding contest is how well the the aging but nonetheless very effective bowling fast bowling of england will fare against this batting order of australia that might be the deciding uh, you know thing as far as i'm concerned because from my perspective one or both of broad and stuart uh, sorry anderson actually retire at the end of the summer thoughts i i don't know about retire but yeah i definitely don't see both playing all five tests i think that would be quite a stretch i mean also because mm. mark wood is a very capable you know bowler obviously of a different kind but nonetheless he's a capable bowler who can um you know bowl a different length bowl a different pace um so i definitely don't see them playing all five tests uh the only bowler i i see playing all five tests is uh, robinson of course um and i i think he's obviously a very very good bowler and i i'm probably going to be england's top wicket taker uh, in general yeah i i do agree that that it's going to come down to that but um i just looking at their age their consistency injury issues fitness how sometimes you know jimmy anderson uh, and broad have to be sort of you know protected in terms of uh, workload all of that i i think australia have a slight advantage um they've already had a sort of a warm up test if you would like <laughs> with the whole test championship final um right. and they are in really good form they have you know they they are they have too many quite to they are struggling to figure out who's going to be in the 11 because hazelwood is not somebody you drop but boland is as you said you know turning out undroppable performances um really as i look through that 11 david warner is probably the only weak link uh with an average of what 22 or something like that in england but otherwise yeah really really solid lineup um I agree that quaja is, is going to be key at the top because of you know warner's um warner's lack of runs in england uh and also because he's he's shown in the last 2 3 years what a dependable batsman he is irrespective of conditions because i think uh, a lot of people forget that he actually had a very good uh, tour of india uh obviously india won comfortably and people don't remember that but he was he was batting very well uh, even mm. if you know he he didn't get a double hundred or something like that but he was batting yeah. very very well on multiple occasions so um yeah that australian lineup in my mind is as only one really replaceable player which is david warner um that i you know people could argue about but uh, england again not not a lineup you could take lightly either um having said all of that i i do think their bowling is slightly weaker than australia's who's going to be a little bit fitter um than anderson and broad closing on you know 37 and, and i don't know 41 or whatever he is 51 i have no idea <laughs> he's been playing for too long <laughs> look i mean it's easy to say like that but um i think that's where the opportunity may rise if if broad and anderson both don't play so you look at this um lineup on the bowling lineup ben stokes is sort of gearing up to play as a all-rounder he might be there or thereabouts but at least the last three tests he might actually also bowl right so if both of anderson and stuart broad don't play in all the tests i expect anderson will play three stuart broad probably four ollie robinson is the next key player there so if austrians can dent his 
confidence because he's one of those metronomic bowlers whom you have to face all the time. You have to, you can't let him go too much. Potts is a very good addition to this lineup. Mark Wood is very unpredictable. He's pretty much Umesh Yadav. But in this case, Chris Wokes has really not stepped up to become the next Anderson, so to say. And his career, I dare say, is nearly over. He probably has one or two seasons. So this is where probably there's a bit of a weakness. But they're batting. They are confident, can make up for it. But then with England, you don't know. Somebody may come up with that incredible performance. Moin Ali coming back, bringing that confidence. Ben Stokes able to bowl, delivering an eight-hour spell that can kill the test match. All of these are very, very nice. So before I let you uh, go on to the next topic, Prediction for scoreline? Uh, I, I think it's going to be 3-2 Australia. Um, wow. I, I mean, obviously, uh, I think there's going to be you know some luck involved and all of that, uh, which always is the case with any sport. But but yeah, I think right now I'm feeling 3-2 Australia. What about you? I'll give one test to the weather, as always. You must in England. But <laughs> I will make it to all. But Australia retaining the Ashes because they want it down under. This is how I always, almost always to say, because the weather may never take uh, a whole test away, but it'll take enough time that whichever is the right. team that's behind might catch up and draw the game. So let's see if that happens. Because uh, again, first time in a very long time, in multiple decades, there was no rain in the first two tests in England. That was Ireland, England, and then of course the World Test Championship final. There was no rain at all during the play of both those games. That's unheard of. So the rain guards are also waiting for that, so to say. Right? <laughs> right. So that's my read on that. So before we go away from all the games, well, there's one important one, the Bangladesh versus Afghanistan test, which is currently underway. Yeah. Thoughts at this stage? Oh, Afghanistan, uh, you know, clearly behind. Uh, it's it's always very tough for a team to, you know, play one-off games and, and try to succeed. Obviously, they they don't have their captain, Rashid Khan, who um, I'm not sure if he's recovered from injury or he's still injured. He's arrested, actually. Oh, he's arrested. Got it. Um, but yeah, so they don't have their probably the most experienced bowler that they have, most experienced player that they have playing. Um, and on top of that, they don't really play too much four-day cricket. Um, so I, it was always going to be a challenge playing Bangladesh and Bangladesh. And yeah, at this point, just way, way ahead Bangladesh. Uh, you know the fact that they um, that they got to 382 and then immediately had Bang- uh, Afghanistan down to what was it like 40 for three or something like that. Um, uh, that you know just showed that it's going to be a long, long fight for Afghanistan to even try and you know draw the game and, and draw is also it's going to need as you said some rain gods to interfere because it's only day two and um, Bangladesh are already four nearly 400 ahead. Indeed. So look. Uh, when you look at the initial uh, scorecard, it looks like it's been quite one-sided, but uh, Afghanistan had their moments. So, for example, Bangladesh in the first innings, they were doing very well. So, just after T on the first day, Afghanistan fought back. So, from the likes of uh, no, 3 for 271 or uh, 2 for 255, you knew the writing is on the wall, more or less. Because um, Najmul Hashan Santos played a real blinder here, almost like what Head played against India. But then they kept striking. Uh, Afghanistan have a very, very uh, very weak or very inexperienced, I might say. See, you don't see Naveenul Haki in this lineup. You don't see Rashid Khan who's been rested. I dare say both of these people have been rested with the upcoming World, uh, World Cup qualifiers in Zimbabwe because it starts literally like three or four days after this. So they, 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 they don't have much uh, break in between. So they have chosen 
to give their best players a little bit of a rest mohammad nabi doesn't play the longer format anymore so you see they are doing the best they can so there was a 5-4 for a debutant nijat masood he took a 5-4 with the ball and uh, they fought back there again in the morning bangladesh lost 20 for 5 so again 362 for 5 they could have extended it to 450 500 because there were two set batsmen who were both on 40 40 yard right and then kanistan ran through it so they have had some comebacks but you cannot hide the lack of experience playing at the highest level first class setup or in test matches you cannot hide that so you see the you can see a typical pattern here they were scoring at 4 plus runs to the over or nearly 4 to the over and they were all out in 39 overs they only made uh, 146 it's about 39 overs you should not even have lost one or two wickets if you look at it the typical test match innings where you are replying to 380 right so that that sort of maturity they have to learn so jonathan trot who's their coach was sort of uh, unhappy about it they didn't they haven't had a test in two years very relevant because we had the same conversation a couple of months back when we were talking of ireland i don't know what it takes for the powers to be to have the likes of zimbabwe ireland afghanistan play more among themselves clearly afghanistan can't host but they have a home ground in india if i'm not wrong or they can host in the middle east so if they play more tests among themselves even if it means afghanistan have to field a weaker uh, team because their stars are playing all over the world in leagues and so on it doesn't matter as a team they need to grow they have very good players in rahmat shah matullah shahidi karim janat amir hamza these are all very good guys very good players but you need to take it to the next level where the likes of abdul malik mature at the top level you know this was a comment made by a pakistani great i think it was zahir abbas if i'm not wrong who said when you come to the top level even miandad may have recorded you have to go that one extra round of learning because in our domestic league that learning is not available as a batsman at least you have to mature yourself at the highest levels that means your first year is going to be a lot of school of hard knocks so afghanistan also have to go through that all their top order at least right so again you can say it's a learning only if they get to play enough games one after the other if they play another test after two years there is no chance for them to have learned anything in the meantime so this is up to the powers that be the administrators both within icc as well as at afghanistan cricket board to try and organize more games have them tour like i, I recently saw karnataka was touring namibia for a limited over series like that even if you have an afghanistan a or Af- afghanistan called afghanistanis or something that can tour namibia the likes of zimbabwe let them just be classified as first class games play there get that maturity into your setup it's not there play in different conditions so it's a bit tough also given with the regime that's there and not many countries being able to welcome them i we you know australia cancelled a test right they all at their best gets one of tests you cannot expect any kind of growth if this happens and i dare say i'm worried afghanistan may stop playing test match cricket you know there was a article recently where somebody wrote the curse of test match status i hope it doesn't come to that right that's my worry any thoughts on that and maybe your uh, prediction of how this test match will end probably we know how the result but how will it end yep uh i mean i think uh, you know i think the ending is is pretty, the result as you said is pretty predictable but i i will wholeheartedly agree with your wider point and you know your point around uh it is the lack of first class cricket for these for these nations i think we were in a situation um for a while where i believe nepal used to come to um india to practice afghanistan used to go to pakistan mm-hmm. uh, so there were those tie ups and i think that is something that the icc can 
or shouldn't mandate. And then I get that there are certain powers who, who don't want, you know, cricket to be a wider game and, and want power to be concentrated in certain hands. All of that I understand, you know, uh, cricket and politics and, and power and all of that mixing together. But this doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, you know, the fact that, to your point, Karnataka playing Namibia, I know, I think it was last year or might have been the year before they played USA in, in a one day as well. Um, right. So those interactions are, are definitely possible. And um, it, I don't see why that any board would say no to that. It, in, in my mind, that gives the players who are playing for, say, Karnataka, um, really good exposure as well. Because remember, not all of them actually get a chance to go on India A tours or India B tours or you know emerging tours. Um, so that they can, uh, they can, you know, prove their talent as themselves in different conditions. So in my mind, that's a really good way of testing your talent as well, your uh, bench strength. And uh, at the same time, giving these countries more uh, actual game time, uh, because, you know, no matter who the coach is, whether it's Jonathan Trott, whether it's somebody else, um, they may be able to guide these young teams, these lesser experienced teams on the mindset, on the on the process. But until you actually practice the execution, I have no idea how you actually execute in, um, you know, in an actual test match. Absolutely. Just to round out, uh, I expect Bangladesh will win tomorrow because this Afghanistan team does not have it in itself to bat a day. I'm really hoping they prove me wrong. But you cannot become an effective test match team if you cannot bat a whole day to start off with. If they last 39 right. overs in the first innings, I am hoping they'll at least double it, last 80 overs in the second innings, right? But Bangladesh already have a very reasonable lead, 370. So it's just a matter of another, I don't know, 30, 40 runs and Bangladesh will declare. That's what I'm expecting. The moment they cross 400, they might declare. That's uh, well beyond what this Afghanistan team can make. But then you never write off, uh, you never write off anyone because cricket being what it is can offer some very funny results. So as a test match fan, you will continue to watch it and hope for the best. While at least Bangladesh will want to prove that they're clearly a whole rank above this Afghanistan team and they're comfortably able to deal with it, Afghanistan will want to take something away. Absolutely. Okay. Now, if you were to move on to some of the topics of the cricketing field, we already discussed a couple, but we missed, I think, one which we could have addressed, sort of Gil getting fined. Uh, he put an interesting video out with some uh, magnifying glasses and some face palm emoji and so on. That wasn't liked by the parts that be the ICC. I mean, you can't do this. You can't debate about a decision that's already been made. That's. Do you think it's just impetuosity from the young man? Because I mean, there was a lesson that had to be learned by many um, many Indian young players like KL Rahul and uh, Hardik Pandya. They also paid a price. I hope this guy doesn't go that way. But do you just see it as impetuosity or do you see anything more? You know, I, I think it's it's basically that. Um, yeah, I agree. I, especially during a game, I understand, you know, expressing frustrations or things like that after a game or a series is over. But uh, to do it during a game while the game is still on, I think that was a little immature. Uh, and yeah, I think the 15% match fee fine is, is more than appropriate. Um, hopefully, I think this is a lesson... Uh, and I, I know that when Dravid was at the NCA, there were conversations about having lessons about lessons um, for cricketers about how to take, you know, how to manage themselves outside the field as well, which I think is very, very important because when you look at somebody like Gil, when you look at somebody like Prithvi Shaw, 
they've been on a cricket field field since they were eight or nine years old and that's all they've done right so when we talk about you know having maturity on other areas having knowing them how to carry themselves obviously they learn over time when they you know travel to nations when they travel with the indian team and all of that when they see seniors and people in ipl and and so on but nonetheless um some of this is always always uh, good to learn at a young age um and hopefully this will be the wrap on the knuckles gil needed to sort of uh, keep keep uh, his emotions in check fair enough i mean as you said it's the age where you know the world is at your feet and so on because uh, the example the other example you brought up i'm very worried because uh, shaw is there or there about she's not completely thrown it away but i'm really worried he might not rise to the heights one would have expected of him given the talent and the opportunities early on but maybe a certain rounding out has to happen as a you know life has to teach you those lessons you have to become a more rounded out individual so it's it's a tough call but i'm thinking yes i think shubman gill the way he has matured on the cricketing field look um, his idol virat kohli has been no stranger to this sort of brushes against authority and the powers that be and so on right but he never let it affect his game to an extent or his playing chances to an extent that it actually make him sit out right no absolutely gill will probably come out of it sooner rather than later i mean he has enough very um, serious people in and around his setup as well yep and and i mean i think the other other aspect of it is players take different time to mature right we we're talking about shaw and and gill mm-hmm. and saying we're disappointed in shaw but look back one generation and it was the same story with rohit sharma and virat kohli right we right. waited a lot longer for rohit to become the player that he did and then he showed the world what he could do uh and i think many will rightly still say that he is not a test great like you know uh, the kohli and and dravids and and tendulkar of uh, of their were and and uh but i think yeah maturity comes to pe- different people at different times so hopefully prithvi shaw is on on the on his way back and we'll see him in india colors sooner rather than later oh right yeah let's just hope you know there is a bigger uh Uh, hole going to open up in this lineup i hope he is there or thereabouts <laughs> to take the chance because you have yashasvi yes. jaiswal you have all of yep. these rituraj gaik but all of these people sarfraz khan all of these people there or thereabouts already so he needs to come back up there and know that you know he is going to also take those chances fair right? enough yep uh, hessen so i don't know if you saw the comments uh, hessen mike hessen the former new zealand coach had to say about uh, bolts um, New Zealand cricket deal. It's a sort of a flexi deal, a zero-hour contract, if you will. And he says this will sort of open a can of worms. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think this has been happening forever, right? Uh, I feel like people will complain about uh, T20 cricket taking away pe- people from national duty, and and this is you know wrong for the game and all of that. And as much as I love watching countries play together, and I think that is. the the cricket that i get it most excited to follow uh the truth of the matter is the the finances of the game are headed in a different direction and realistically apart from australia england and india none of the other countries can offer enough money that you know people will turn down contracts with with franchises um so this is this is bound to happen and you know you'll hear people like michael holding talk about oh how terrible this is for the game and this and that and Michael Holding himself first played in in Australia back in the day in 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 the seventies and eighties after mm-hmm. leaving West Indies because well they didn't pay enough you know the Kerry Packer series so 
there there's a certain sense of hypocrisy because uh, sure like you can say it opens up a can of worms and it, it does i'm not disagreeing with that but mike Hassan himself is employed by rcb and and you know he makes money by by working with these franchises so i think it's just the way the world is going to work unfortunately whether we like it or not it's similar to you know people in probably in the 80s saying oh ODI cricket is you know bs and test cricket is the only way forward and all of that when in reality we know that ODI and T20 make a lot of money financially speaking they make a ton of money and one of the points we were making earlier why does afghanistan and ireland why don't they play more test cricket that financial aspect is a big part of it so whether we like it or not this is going to happen more and more and in fact if you paid attention to some of the recent news coming out of you know the world cup qualifiers and the new zealand uh, sorry not new zealand netherlands team uh, that was going to make the qualifiers right there were a num- right. number of counties english counties that actually did not release dutch players so right. they had to play without i think it was six different uh, six key individuals Four so this has been happening Four yeah, to five yeah. for sure. Yep. So yeah. this hasn't been happening for you know a long time. Whether it was counties before, before that was Kerry Packer. This is not new, and uh, sure, it will change the way cricket works today. But hey, change is the only constant. Mm. And see, if you look at the bigger picture, I'm thinking more and more players will go the way where the club game is bigger than the national game. Winning a Champions League probably is bigger than winning the World Cup or whatever in certain people's minds at least. And you cannot blame a player to see the opportunity and take it simply because their career is limited. They'll not do it 40 years. They'll do it 8, 10 years at best, right? So right. Th- there is a certain there's a certain give there. And people like Bolt can't be much blamed. They've given a decade of service almost to their uh, national team. People like Morna Markle, who I thought took the right approach, right? Who played enough took 300 test wickets or whatever and then decided to go the other way. I mean, that Bolt and uh, Saudi combination was what kept New Zealand going for like a decade, right? And he he has deservedly, you know, uh, earned the time to go play in the leagues and make sure. He also earns a little bit on the side for the coming uh, years, put away a little bit on the side. So, as I said, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evolution. The game itself has to accept and undergo rather than fight it, right? I mean, look, they were being paid like 50 pounds, uh, 200 up to 200 pounds uh, for a game, right? The English players. Because of the Kerry Packer revolution, today players are able to earn and so on. So sometimes it's not all for the worst. I mean, the bigger, I'm thinking these formats of the game, be it Test Match or ODI or T20, they are bigger than the players themselves and that's how it will assert itself. But players can always make some bucks on the side. That's the whole point. Absolutely. And and talking about big picture, one one last quick comment I'll make is uh, some people, and, and this is just, you know, cricket nerds like you and me have, have floated this idea of a franchise test uh, championship, something like a four-day cricket test right. game where cities own uh, franchises and, and players play for that. I mean, I, I think that would be a fantastic, you know, thing. Just imagine seeing Rashid Khan bat in the same, or play in the same lineup as uh, so mm. the other greats from the other sides, you know, that would be a lot more fair on a talent like Rashid Khan than trying to play with Afghanistan, who, as we discussed, gets very limited opportunities. So uh, it, unclear where we head with this, but uh, yeah, not everything is for the worst as uh, as people like to claim. Indeed. Look, how do you generate the revenue is the only question, right? If you are able to generate 
reasonable revenue without really uh, inviting the vultures and the hawks that are like to take money or like to make money in other means that's a very realistic uh, approach as well but then that's the point in today's time nobody uh, today's day and age nobody has the time to go and sit and watch that slow build up of pressure the inevitable uh, the inevitable sort of uh, you know the ending that a test match leads to so that that takes certain understanding of the game and it's very nuanced so um, i have actually been with people who can't understand why is the guy letting the ball go and so on so it's possible so that that takes a certain amount of understanding as well and certain amount of education about the game so let's see let's see if, if that ever were to happen there would be nobody happier than me let's just say it happens somewhere in the us mlc takes off big time and then people are able to actually dedicate time and uh, go and watch franchise based test uh, or you know uh, four day games that will be greatest for me if that were to ever happen all right thanks for all the nice topics and chats i think you came up with a couple of uh, topics yourself so that those are perfect thank you very much for that every time i bring a new guest on i'm rarely disappointed and you've done excellently well as far as i'm concerned i would love to have you again on my show or do a mutual show and let's see how 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 often we can have you if you have the time of course absolutely no ajit pleasure is all mine um lovely talking to you and yeah we'll definitely try to collaborate and uh, sort of pick pick each other's brains perfect I think I'll let you go. It must be lunchtime for you. Uh, we wish all our listeners of both the podcasts a very good day, wherever you may be listening from. That's all we have for this episode. Thank you very much, Mike, and see you soon. Thanks, Ajit. Thank you for listening to an episode of The Last Wicket. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts Benny and Mike. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice, follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening and from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy.